Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome into the show, everyone. This is Lynn Bartan. It's Thursday and it's November here at KSUU Thunder 91.1. We have had such a great event today and I'm so excited to to share with you who we've had on campus. Uh, and so without further ado, I'd just like to say hello and welcome to Chuck Aaron. Welcome in. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been such a pleasure to have you here on campus, and I'm just going to say a couple of words about who you are, uh, but and then I'd love for you to share with our audience some of the details about what you've done, and then we'll get into some of the details of how you got from there to here and okay. everything. Sounds great. So Chuck is an aerobatic helicopter pilot, and he is world famous. And one of the things that's been such a pleasure to watch today is after the event, I think we had more students and community members and everybody lined up to take photos. You are absolutely a rock star in the aviation world. (laughs) And you have done uh, all kinds of things uh, that are firsts, and I know that we'll get into some of those. But can you share with us some of the highlights um, from your career, everything from the movies to working with Red Bull? Can you just give us a few of the the sort of highlight reel? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There's a lot of them because they they progress as life goes on. You know, everything's new again, and then then – you move on to something else and something else happens. But so I could tell you lots of them. Um, I, I, I think one of my highlights is my friendship with my father uh-huh. um, who, who, who led me into aviation. And, um, and then when I got my pilot's license uh, and everything kind of took off from there back in 1972. Yeah. And I've been flying full time since then. There's many, many stories of way cool, neat things I've seen from the helicopter. Uh, and, and that's why, well, probably one of the re- main reasons why I'm partial to a helicopter as to an airplane. I like airplanes, but the helicopter is just more fun for me. And, and to get paid for it is even better. Oh, that's so cool. But I mean, if you could imagine having your, well, like we're sitting behind two desks right now. Yeah. And even though you're very pretty to look at. <laughs> And when I'm flying my helicopter and, my, and sitting behind my desk, I get to see from three to 500 feet above the ground, I get to see the whole world. Yeah. And you see canyons and you see geese and you see uh, uh, all kinds of animals, every one of them. At some point, you'll see them all. And all kinds of just cool things. And have beautiful you. Beautiful natural history that's beautiful. Have you flown over all the continents by now? Um. I've, I've flown in every state in the United States, um, Hawaii, uh, and I've flown in uh, the Mideast a little bit. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. That's so cool. You uh, talked a lot today about your relationship with your father and, yeah. and his impact and influence. And I was just curious, um, what traits in him do you think that were of of particular inspiration to you? Were there specific mm. character traits? Were there specific things about him that mm. you've carried into your life? Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I used to have, um, my, my dad was commanders of different bases everywhere we went, all around the world. And uh, what, what always stuck with me is that his guys that worked for him would tell me, his son on the side where, you know, not where dad could hear it. How 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 much he liked my father. Oh wow! That my dad was a, a very amicable person that liked helping. He always had a smile on his face. He always liked resolving problems and helping people. Um, that uh, the his uh, he was in air rescue for the last fifteen years of his life, and commander of air rescue squadrons all around the world. And the Air Force actually hired him as a very unique uh, commander, and such that they would. 
uh, send him to a uh, every year we get transferred somewhere else. And so, and we went with him. So every base that we went to every year, we went there for the purpose of fixing the air rescue squadron because it was not producing well. Oh, and it was like the, the pilots weren't qualified to do stuff. And, the, and the morale was down. The Spirit of Corps wasn't there. And, uh, so when my dad got there, his job was to get, all the pilots up to speed and and uh, happy again and my mother played a role in that she was the uh, she was always the president of the uh, women's uh, officers club women's wives club ah and so she would set up parties for all the pilots and other uh, other guys and have get have meetings together just the girls you know ah. and get their esprit de corps and happiness going again and uh so everyone liked my dad. Yeah. And it's because he he was there truly to help. Yeah. And as a leader, yeah. That's what you have to do. A team leader. A that's team beautiful. Leader. I'm really happy to know that that part of the story. Yeah. And so your early years, you're inspired by these wonderful parents and and mm-hmm. around uh, aircraft all the time. Yep. Um, were there any early indications, um, any memories or things like that that really sparked you into your career? Yeah, yeah, it's funny she does that. So I got to tell you this story that I I don't tell too often. I should tell it more often. Uh, when I was somewhere around twelve ish years old, I had this uh, reoccurring dream. Mm-hmm. And I bet you I had the dream over a hundred times. I don't, I don't know how many times, but it was well over a hundred. And in the dream, it was the dream would start with my mother would be taking me to the take me to put me to bed at night, and she'd take me in the bedroom, and I'd have my jammers on. I'd get into the covers, and she'd pull the covers up over me. She'd walk out the door and close the door, say good night, and then as soon as the door shut, I jumped out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And I had a magic carpet on the floor right at the end of the bed. Wow. And I'd get on my magic carpet and I'd fly out the window. No way. Yeah. Well, that's a great indicator. Well, see, yeah. yeah. So I did that and I'd go out and I would, of course, my job flying this magic carpet was like Alibaba's. And, I'd, and, and I, what I did was I went out saving the world, kind of like Superman stuff. A hero. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'd come back, come, come back in and land. Uh, at the foot of the bed in the morning, get off the carpet, jump into bed and pull the covers up just in time for my mother to come in and get me out of bed for school. Wow. And that was over and over and over again. And in those dreams, of course, it would change the different things I was doing while yeah. I was out flying around. But So I was always flying this magic carpet. Uh, so look at me today. Yeah. You are spinning around on your own magic device for sure. Yeah, I'm all flying my air. magic carpet. I love it. That's so, a great story. And it's a true story. That's amazing. So dreams can come true. Actual dreams can Actual, come true. Yeah. That's amazing. So well, I, thank I, you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm a, a big pusher for dreams. You know, Do your dreams. Whatever it is you're dreaming about, try and do it. Yeah, I want to talk about that and get into that a little later because mm. that's uh, the inspirational uh, side of things and the message that you carry on to others. And, and I'm really anxious to talk to you about that. But before we get to that, so we go from the magic carpet to crop dusting, I think, <laughs> is the next thing that you mm. do. And, and those are probably the were, – were those the first aircraft that you were in? Um, no. I, um, my dad was teaching me how to fly airplanes, okay. and um, which I was loving. And um, – he got me a ride in a Bell 47 from a friend of mine, or a, a person I knew later better. Still know him. Um, his name's Ernie Kapanke. So if Ernie, if you're out there somewhere and you ever hear this, it's a shout out to you. That's awesome. And uh, Ernie gave me my uh, first ride in a helicopter. And uh, it, that changed my whole direction in life. Wow. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. And what is it about the helicopter? I, I've watched some of your videos, and, and it mm. just seems amazing to me. I've never mm. even been in a helicopter, mm. let alone flown one. But it seems so involved and so active, like all four limbs, hands, mm. legs, the whole thing. Mm. Is that what makes it particularly appealing to you? Yeah. It's, it, yeah. And it's a very uh, – I fly It's very fluid to me. I, I don't know if it's got anything to do with my dreams, but I do fly it. When I do air shows, 
I fly and I'm thinking and remembering my dreams that I had as flying a magic carpet. So when I'm doing my loop, I'm thinking I'm on my magic carpet. Oh, that's good. And the carpet is doing the flying. I'm standing on it. And I've learned how to stay on it when it goes upside down and do rolls and loops and all that stuff. So, so I honestly am thinking about my magic carpet as I do air shows. And, uh, so it, 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 it works for me and it reminds me of the past and, and, and what I'm doing today. And it, it, it makes it fun for me to, to, to do the air shows, but back to the crop dusting, that was my first job. Yeah. And that was in Saluda, South Carolina, spraying cotton. And you did a lot of other jobs in between there. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I really um, think is great to impart to our students or to our audiences mm-hmm. listening that, mm-hmm. that you just, you just started and just never stopped. You just kept going mm-hmm. and you did a lot of things mm-hmm. on, until this big aero, you know, acrobatic thing came to you. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, it's true. You yeah. know, I, I didn't know I was coming to this, mm-hmm. you know, it's just part of life. I, you know, life to me was work hard and, Go after you have a dream. Go after your dreams, and 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 get you'll get there. Right. And life is full of ups and downs and trials and errors, and everybody's got that. You're not the only one. You know, yeah. every, we all have those problems, and um and so you just have to hang in there and and get through your issues and your problems and and wait for the sweet sides. And so yeah, I've had my first job was uh, uh, spraying cotton, and I was working six days a week getting $200 per week. Mm-hmm. And I flew from sun up to sundown for six days. And on Sundays, he let me have Sundays off. Yeah. And because he was a Christian, wanted me to yeah. have that day off. And then um, and then Monday morning, back in the seat again and fly all till dark. Yeah. And uh, I flew 650 hours in about five, five and a half months. Oh, wow. It was a huge amount of flying. Yeah. But. It was a lot of fun flying. Uh, I've never done it since. I, I made it through that. We had a defoliation period. We have to defoliate the cotton. Did that. And then my mom, um, right as I was doing defoliating uh, in the last two weeks of the spray season, my mom gave me a call and told me, he said, hey, this guy in Orlando had just bought an Enstrom helicopter and was looking for an instructor. And I had had my instructor rating already. So I raced back down to Orlando and um, from South Carolina and told the guy, I said, I'll, let me have that job. And he says, why? And I said, you don't have to hire me. Just pay me a flat fee of $25 an hour for every job that I get. And then I'll go out and find the work and you just give me the 25 bucks an hour. So uh, I was working on commission. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so, then, I, so I just went and hustled. And got, yeah, and you hustled, and then aerobatics came into your life a bit from a challenge, as I understand it. Yeah, now that was, you know, a long to 30 years later. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, I did all kinds of stuff at, uh, where I, um, I mean, we could stay on the subject for a long time, but in a nutshell, kind of make it quicker. Um, I went and I worked at NASA for a while. Right. And, and I worked on the space. Space Shuttle Air Rescue Program, so I was helping them organize the the uh, recovery of astronauts in case it had a problem. Right. And I did that for a year and moved on from that and started a maintenance and overhaul facility where I started uh, uh, buying helicopters and rebuilding them. And I got my NP license and started buying rebuilding helicopters. And uh, and prior to that, I was doing not just the crop dusting. Then then I started. Like I told you, the instrument I was doing aerial photography, and I was mm-hmm. doing flight instruction there with him. And then uh, I got some government contracts, and and I was uh, I was filming this space shuttle landing uh, air, uh, runway at uh, Kennedy Space Center, and I had to do that on a monthly report for Congress. And mm-hmm. so they, I flew out there all the time doing that. And I got another job flying for the Navy out while I was in the area, and 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 then I got a job for the. Um, then I met this other guy, and I got more helicopters. I went up with seven helicopters. Wow. And I was working every day, but I was having fun. I was doing all kinds of stuff. I got my external load certificate, and I started doing sling work and and uh, and uh, worked for the Army Corps of Engineers, and I worked for all, all just about all the government agencies. And then um, started buying and reselling helicopters and doing some flight test work. I did some experimental test work with the for for the army uh on the 
Apache helicopter. I did the first flights for the first. There's a device on the nose of the helicopter called a TADS PNVS, and it's the guidance system for the um, gunner in the front seat so he can look out ahead and pinpoint an object like a tank or something and uh-huh. put a laser beam on it, and he can fire a missile at it. And so I did all the flight tests for that thing mm-hmm. for them and uh, also done a bunch of stuff with uh, – I tripped over this other device from MaxViz that it's a super camera with a different wavelength for infrared that looks can see through smoke and it can see through haze and can see through uh, sand. And while we're doing those projects, doing I was flight testing for them too in the mountains out in California. There were crashing helicopters in Afghanistan from helicopters coming in for a landing, and then all the dust would blow up, and the guys would lose reference to the ground, and they'd crash. Oh. And it was happening a lot, and you didn't hear too much about it. Right. Well, I found a system that worked so you could see through it. That's amazing. Yeah. So we did all, I did all that flight test on that too, and all worked out real well. Um, it was called, the company's name was MaxViz, and they later sold out to FLIR, F-L-I-R, FLIR Systems International in Oregon, and they own the company now. Um, but that, you know, make the long story a little shorter, that I, I, I had already bought and rebuilt some Cobra helicopters that I had owned personally. Right. That I'd rebuilt and, in my rebuilding part of my life. And, um, um, I, I got a, a call from, from, um, it, it was a, one of the helpers, Michael Bay, the director for, um, The Rock, the movie The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And they wanted my Cobra and the helicopter. And I actually had two at the time. So they paid me. I was at, at that time, I was living in Chicago and a really super new, Nice guy, Robert Van Campen, who was my financial backer there, and uh, told him about the movie deal we got. And so we flew both helicopters out to Cobras out to L.A. and then up eventually up to San Francisco, and we did that movie. And that's what started my movie stuff. And um, and then later on, uh, that was in 96, and then later on, I guess it was in 2004, a guy named Dietrich Mateschitz, he he's the owner of Red Bull. Right. He found out that I had a Cobra in civilian hands. Ah. And he is a big advocate of aviation, loves aviation. Okay. He's an aviator himself. He's a he's a pilot, a, a fixed-wing pilot, and he's a helicopter pilot. Okay. And so he likes doing sports, and he's big into sports, and he's big in aviation, and he loves them all. And uh, he found out I had this Cobra, and he – Called me up. He actually had his uh, chief pilot call me up and asked me if I had the Cobra and if I'd be willing to sell it. So I said, well, maybe. And and uh, he said, I'd like to come over and look at it. So they both came over and they took a look at it. And they just, it, the, the Cobra is like brand new. When I rebuilt it, I did a really pristine job with it. And um, they, they, they bought it on the spot. Wow. So again, to make this, Long story, I could do, tell you for hours shorter. Um, <laughs> uh, he, after the transaction happened, he bought the helicopter. He asked me if I could uh, do aerobatics in helicopters. And my first response to him was, no way, you can't do that. Yeah. And I had, I don't know, 13, 14,000 hours by that time, and there was no way mm-hmm. you can do aerobatics. So we talked about other stuff, and that subject kind of fell away, and he took off and he went back to Europe and – Meanwhile, it's in my head, and it's kind of grinding around it's up there in my stuck. head. That, that, yeah. <laughs> I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and how could I do it if, if? And so I came up with the idea of maybe using the BO-105 helicopter. It's a German-made helicopter that's built like a little Sherman tank. And why that one? Why that that vehicle? Uh, good question. So the, the reason why I picked from all the others that are available was it was small. It was twin turbine. And it had, what most importantly, a rigid rotor head. Okay. And that's a rotor head that's a single one piece made out of solid titanium. It has no lead and lag hinge and no flapping hinge. Only thing the blade can do is twist or feather. And it does everything it needs to do like a normal helicopter would do. Uh, 
being fully rigid, there's there's the short side to being fully rigid. You can't do all, you can't go real fast forward with it. Cruise on it's about 120 knots. Mm-hmm. It's decent for a helicopter, but it's not exceptional. And but for aerobatics and maneuverability, it's the best. And it's connected to an airframe that's got too many rivets in it, which is I like. Made it really strong. Ah, I, okay. I mean, too many. I'm saying that uh, uh, kiddingly. It's a uh. uh, it's a very tough uh, airframe. Okay. And this rigid heads on it, bolted to the top of the transmission. Transmission's bolted to the engine. I mean, to the uh, tr- transmission is bolted to the deck of the aircraft, and it's all rigidly mounted. So I thought that would be the best um, one to start with. Yeah, that strength is what. That strength I wanted initially. But yet light. And light. Yeah, okay. So with no guarantees at all, I gave Dietrich a call on the phone and I said, maybe. I said, I'm not guaranteeing you nothing. I can't guarantee you that stuff, what the FAA is going to approve or not approve. And I said, maybe we could do it if we did this. And he didn't hesitate at all. I said, do it. (laughs) And uh, he just... We spent a lot of, so I did. So I, I bought a couple of B-105s and brought them to my shop, which was in Camarillo, California, and took them all apart and and um, took me 15 months of working on them mm-hmm. till I finally got the FAA to certify them, to certify the aircraft fully aerobatic and, and approved by the FAA. But I had a lot of help, so don't really... It wasn't right. just Chuck Aaron. It was a lot of help. And that process of getting it approved, was it was it a back and forth? Like you'd say, here it is, and they'd be like, no. And mm-hmm. then you'd have to make more modifications and until they said yes. Is that how the process went? Mm, you'd think it would be that way. Uh, and I think they probably close to that even today. But no, what what you do is you, you, you take your idea and your project and you build it and you invite the FAA to come over and look what you're doing. And they kind of take notes as you're doing it. And they might come up with some suggestions, but generally the FAA doesn't give you any suggestions. They look to the brainies, the brainiacs for the, for the questions. Right. They just want the results. Mm -hmm. That's their job. Mm -hmm. We want results. Um, so I was, I'm not all that smart, but I'm smart enough to know that fields that I don't know about i hire the right people to do that absolutely yeah and i and i reach out to others for help all the time Mm -hmm. um and so that's what got me through it so when i was to answer your question the 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 feds didn't approve it until i was till i told them okay it's ready i see i'm done now i've done all the mods i'm going to do to it i think it's ready and they would ask me a bunch of questions the day they came out to certify it we went through the whole thing they agreed with it, and they signed the paper off. Said you're good. So I got that was the first ever certified aerobatic helicopter in the world. Right, that's amazing. Yeah. And when you were saying yes to mm-hmm. Dietrich, was it was it the challenge of it? Was it mm. the desire to do acrobat? What about it? made you keep going and going for it was it just that you had to solve the problem or mm-hmm. was it the thrill-seeking aspect of mm-hmm. it what part of it motivated you uh, awesome question um you know the story about how do you eat an elephant <laughs> no i don't i'm sorry you eat an elephant one bite at a time <laughs> okay <laughs> it, it's a good analogy of handling life you know you don't look at the Get a general idea where you want to go and just start chipping away at it one little piece at a time. Right. And like when I was building my Cobras and when I was building the B-105, the aerobatic helicopter, I didn't want to pay a lot of attention to where I was going to, I knew where I was going to go, but I would, I'd work on the, the tail rotor, I'd work on the tail boom, or I'd work on the, the, t- the main drive shaft, or I'd work on the rotor head, I'd work on this, or work on, and I just kept busy with my mind busy working on those single objects until it was done and then i would set it aside and move it to the next one okay and um and so that's how that's how i'd done done all my life is you just take the project on one piece of time. and on this particular case in the red bull helicopter um i wasn't even thinking enough to where i got so involved with it and i was so intrigued with what i was doing i knew it was going to be a record and a first that excited me but I didn't think about when I got it all done and they signed it off, which I wasn't certain they'd ever do that. Right. They, and when they did, 
I felt like I was standing on the end of a diving board and there's a bunch of sharks below me because now, <laughs> now I got to go out there. I got to fly it. Right. You back. built the diving board yeah, and now you have to board. stand on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I went, oh my gosh, I got to teach myself how now I do aerobatics and it scared the living daylights yeah. out of me. It really did. I, I really didn't, I knew it was there, but I just didn't get the harmonics of it in my brain of how, how unnecessary this was going to be that I've, you know, I've, I've spent, Red Bulls millions of dollars and I've and I did it but now I've got to go out and do it myself and that was that was daunting. It seems like the process was fascinating you yeah. and and it just kept presenting these new challenges, challenges. and new intrigues and yeah. then the process was, was done, done and it presented its whole other boom, thing. This whole other animal pops up. It's like, oh, geez, I didn't even thought of that. I got to go out there and loop it and roll it now. Great. Yeah. Well, and then you talk about learning about it and, and you say that you, uh, you call it the chicken point. Yeah. And you kept going almost, almost, almost. And then yeah. finally one day you just yeah. did it. So my first challenge when I got through that emotional thing that I got to go out here and loop and roll this thing, um, was Red Bull paid for me to go to this aerobatic school in the Satavia uh, in Santa Paula, California, and thinking that would help. So I went up there and I went through this aerobatic course, and it was piece of cake did all that. But when I got to the helicopter, it it's it's, it's two different animals. Right, it's, it has no bearing whatsoever. Turns out the the aerobatic parts of an airplane aren't anything close to how you do aerobatics in a helicopter. I see. Which I could see it as I was doing this because you were flying a disc yeah. that's above you. It's over the helicopter and you're just hanging underneath it in this little pod along for the ride. Right. And you're doing the aerobatics. The disc is doing the aerobatics. Yeah. You talk, uh, you talked earlier today about that, that you are really controlling the disc. Yes. That's, that's the main sort of focus. It is. That's yeah. the main focus. That's my magic carpets up there. And uh -huh. I'm, I'm just kind of hanging below that uh -huh. in this case. Um. So I've we were chicken point getting oh, the chicken into point. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the loop. So so back to the loop. So I, I so I went out and found a place to practice, and I went up to uh, two, two thousand feet AGL above the ground, and I uh, was uh, go to uh, cruise speed, and I'd pull up and I'd initiate going for a loop, and I'd get it high enough to where. I'd actually chick in the beginning. I'd chicken out and I'd roll out, right? And fly away from it. So that became my chicken point, right? And I did that over a period of about two months. Wow! And I bet you I did it fifty or sixty or seventy times, and where I'd pull up to my chicken point and I'd try and get one more degree out of it each time. You know, I'd just get a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more until I, you know, as long as I could, you know, move the stick and roll it out. You would. Then I would. I yeah. was. I was good with that. I never wanted to go past my limits. Yeah. Uh, I knew what my limits were, and I didn't want to exceed my limits. Yeah. As I don't want any aircraft pilot to exceed their personal limits. If you ever get that feeling in your gut that you've reached your limits, you need to stop. That's one of the things you articulated to the students today when they were asking about risk management, mm -hmm. that 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 comfort zone and that understanding mm -hmm. is, is so, so important. It is. And, you know, that's where you need the instructor and you need help to get through those those limits. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you will. And you'll just just pay attention and learn and ask questions. And the only stupid question, like I said, is the one you didn't ask. And you have to ask every question until it's you totally understand it in your head. Right. And don't skip out on one. Don't don't leave it on the table. Yes. Uh, so back to my looping that I finally did on the one time I got up and I got to my chicken point and I said, oh, I'm going for it today. Yeah. It was just the right timing. I felt perfect. My gut said everything right. Go. Yeah, go. Mm -hmm. So I pulled the stick back and I did the loop and I was so excited. It went so perfect. I did 10 more in a row. Ugh. So for me, that was my Chuck Yeager moment where he broke through the speed of sound. That was Chuck Aaron's <laughs> speed of sound. That's awesome. That I went and got it in the aerobatics. And 
Well, and the rest is history, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, well, it's time to take a little musical break. And, um, and this is a sort of a theme one because when we come back, I'd love to talk about one of the more recent movies that you did, which mm. is the uh, Spectre, the double, most recent 007 movie, uh, which I also have a special connection to. And the song that I'm going to play is Los Muertos Vivos Están. And um, playing that song from that movie because it features the Tambuco percussion group who are dear, dear friends of mine. And so I'm love bringing, bridging these worlds uh, because the famous, famous, amazing opening scene with the helicopter over Zocalo Square is flown by Chuck Aaron. Mm-hmm. So when we come back, we'll talk more about that. But in the meantime, here is one of the songs from that movie. You're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome back. So that song was Los Muertos Vivos Astan, and that's from Spectre, the 007, most recent 007 movie, which I think is number 24. I am joined in the studio with Chuck Aaron, who is the helicopter pilot who was all over the opening sequence of that movie. So welcome back, Chuck. Yeah, thank you so much. Great to be here. That uh, opening sequence is so magnetic and amazing on so many levels. I would love to know a little bit uh, more about what that experience was like. And I know you, you, you must have done. There, there's choreography involved. Yes. How did how did the process of designing the scene go? Did they give? How do they give that information to you? Do a 360 here. Do a backflip here. How does that happen? Yeah, they, they talk to me, and 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 I talk to the director, and they they kind of give me generalities of what they want. And actually, they've moved up to where they've got these these little. They, they used to be called storyboards, where they draw yes. out these little pictures. Right. Well, they've got that so advanced now. It's it's actually like little uh, three dimensional. Uh, things oh wow and so you could they'll they'll do that at night and come up with this idea can you do this and we'll say and i'll say yes or no to it or or modify it and we'll do this and this and that and so yeah it's it's a collaborative uh, uh team effort and, and did it get designed beforehand or no, did during. it during as so they they just, came up with the basic version okay. of it and i then, see and then we kind of uh 
massaged it yeah. as we as we went through it to make it work. And you, from what I saw a little bit on one of the videos, you practice it at a at sort of close to the ground at first. Is that the first rehearsal part? Yeah the 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 whole thing is near the ground. Ah. Um, there's very little of it where I'm, a, I'm at normal height. That's actually only the only part of that is that the end of what the flying part. Okay. So a lot of it, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, pretty close. Buzzing the ground or right at it, and I land on the on Zocalo Square, right, right in the center of Mexico City. And uh, there really is two thousand people underneath me when I land there. That's amazing. Yeah, we had we had um, minders or stunt guys that were in the crowd, and and we practiced this probably 30, 40 times of me coming and landing in that spot, and this crowd would have to move out of the way at the last second because I was gonna. It makes it in the movie makes it look like I'm going to hit yeah. the crowd and they yeah. dodge get out of the way real quick, but it's it's all choreographed. They yeah. all know it's going to happen. They know the timing yeah. and all of that. But nevertheless, I'm still over two thousand people while I'm doing this stuff, and then right at the last second, they get out of the way and boom, I land on the ground right right there. Is that more nerve wracking, or because I mean, you, most of the things you do are in the air, yeah, you yeah. know, with you and perhaps a passenger. Was yeah. that more nerve wracking? That I mean, I would with all those people directly under you. <laughs> yeah, sure was. Um, <laughs> it was uh, in Mexico City. Most people don't realize this. That place is at seven thousand five hundred feet altitude. Yeah, and the temperature outside when we shot this was ninety. Yeah, degrees Fahrenheit. So your DA or density altitude is way up there, and the and the way the helicopter works is 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 it's 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 harder to fly. Right. So you you can't turn as fast, and you can't land as quickly, and you you can't lift up as much, and you can do it all. But and, and in my case, I was literally on the edge of everything. I was on the edge of of the turning uh, uh, radius. I'd turn it as hard as I could till I hit the stops of the flight controls. I see. And I would turn it the other way. And, to the stops to make this other turn and, and i came in when i was, made the landings i wouldn't bring it to hover and land i'd have to come right in and plant Whoa. right on the ground yeah and, you know you can't hit the ground hard <laughs> yeah so it was a, and we had to do it over and over and over and all movies are that way they're yeah. all repetitively doing the same thing it's choreographed over and over and over again you practice a lot sometimes the practices are a different location right and get the general idea of it and then you come back on set and you do the set thing and you practice it and you shoot it a bunch of time they they'll put a camera you know in my case they had obviously they had 20 cameras going from 20 different locations right on top of buildings all the way around us in a circle uh. and guys on the ground shooting it and how long was that shoot several weeks it, yeah, for the for the couple of minutes i'm on the screen it was uh, I was I was there f uh, five weeks. Wow, five weeks flying every day. And I know that that altitude is serious. The only mm. concert I've ever done where I've been seriously out of breath was in Mexico City, yeah. and it you don't realize it, you know. Yeah. And so is is that kind of altitude? What are the most challenging conditions for the kind of flying that you do? Is it altitude? Is it wind? What What are the the least desirable conditions? The worst thing is heat. Oh, yeah. The uh, the, uh, the engines don't like heat, mm. and it, it ruins them. So the cooler you can keep your engines, the better. It affects the inlet temperatures of the, of the turbine section. And the engine oil system has to be cooled mm -hmm. and, and is recirculated. And so when it's getting recirculated with hot air, you know, it's got to be really efficient to work. I see. So, um, so we're ch those are challenging for the, for the mechanical parts of it. The flying parts of it is the altitude and temperatures is, is the flight controls. When you make a response, it doesn't react very quickly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot slower. So yeah. reactions are slower. So you have to anticipate that. Yeah. And I was also curious of, uh, you know, you're dealing with zero gravity situations and all these kinds of things, too. Mm -hmm. What kind of effect or what sort of effects have you found uh, on you personally over the years? Has, mm -hmm. it, has it affected you, um, the amount of time that you're doing it, how often you're doing it? Yeah, I, I try to calculate how much time I've been literally upside down in negative zero Gs. And I, I think I'm able to take that 
as to take that time and take it off my life so I'm not that old. <laughs> All right. That's your secret to longevity. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's <laughs> I was <exactly>. wondering. <laughs> that's it sounds great. logical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's um I I I still like it. I still enjoy it. I don't get tired of it. Mm -hmm. It's not affected me at all. I don't pull a lot of G's like the fighter pilots. Right. Those guys pull eight, nine, ten G's. I mean, that's eight, nine, ten times your body weight. Mm -hmm. Now, candidly, they can only do it for three or four seconds, but that's all they need to make a turn. Mm -hmm. And when I do mine, I'm about the same amount of time, three or four seconds, but I'm only maximum. I'm allowed. I'm allowed my helicopter to go up to three and a half G's, mm. and I usually hit two point eight, two point nine, sometimes three G's, and negative. I, I and and when I do my backflips and things like that, I'm at zero G. I'm just literally falling with gravity. Wow. Do you do anything physically in your day to day life or preparation, j- just physically to mm. help your body or yeah, help just, yourself? Yeah, I just try to eat the right stuff. You know, I'm not I'm not in perfect shape. I used to be in perfect shape. Uh, <laughs> I used to run a lot. I used to be a runner. And I, I see. ran a lot, uh-huh. and and uh, I'd run three four times a week, and I I got up to where I was running that uh, twelve miles. Every, oh wow! Um, but that was just something I enjoyed doing. Yeah. Um, about four years ago, I I tore a meniscus in my knee, yeah, and I haven't get been able to get back to really running again. So I've I just had to watch my what I eat and when I eat and and just fight it off that way and do some some exercises, but I I can't run anymore. Right, right. And maybe someday I can, but I'm not yeah. there yet. Yeah. Well, I was but also. But it's important to be physically fit. Physically fit. Yes, it is. I was also curious about the 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 feeling. I mean, so few of us uh-huh. will ever get the opportunity to experience what it feels like to go upside down or be upside down. Uh-huh. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about uh, about that that feeling. You know, uh-huh. what what is that? Maybe describe the the motion when you are upside down and and uh-huh. some of the feelings of it. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be hard, but <laughs> but. Uh, well, Let's take a loop, for example. Um, when you when you pull back on the stick, you'll pull back, and you'll probably pull two G's, twice your weight. Wow! And then as you you'll go vertical, and then the G's will start coming off, and then when you get upside down, completely upside down, you're at zero gravity, and then you there's no G's. You you're floating, and even stuff in the cockpit will start floating, and so you're and, and your seatbelt holds you in your seat. Yeah. Uh-huh. As, uh, from floating because you don't want to float away from the controls. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you want to be right there at the control. And on the back side of the loop, you come down the back side, you're still at zero Gs. But then everything changes quickly, and then you have to pull out of the dive, and you have to pull up, pull back on the stick, which makes you pull up. And then that's when you really get the Gs come into play. Yeah. And so you'll pull 2.6, 2.7, 2.8, 3Gs, depending on the winds and the day and how well you did the loop and if it was a downwind loop or an end-of-the-wind loop and or crosswind loop. So they change a little bit. But it's it's a cool feeling that you're going from these positive Gs and then you get into these negative Gs, and it uh, it's invigorating. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It, it, Emotionally, yeah. is it is it – I mean, do you experience fear at all doing it, or is that all uh, gone and it's just uh, joy? You know, that's an awesome question. Uh, I got a good answer for it. As, and it's, a, it's actually what causes – some people get air sick. Yeah. And they get – and for, to answer your question, yes, I love it. It's joy for me. But And I, I've never been air sick. But the, there's a reason for that. It's because I'm at the controls. Now, think about this. I'm at the controls. My hands are on the controls. So I'm, I tell myself in advance, I'm going to pull this helicopter or this aircraft, the helicopter in my case, I'm going to pull it up. So to do that, I'll pull back on the stick. So I know in advance I'm going to do this. I'm ahead of the game. Right. So I'm, I pull back on the stick and I'm intentionally and I'll start coming up to do the loop or a roll or whatever it is I'm going to do. I'm ahead of the game. I'm okay. just a split second ahead of it, but I'm before it. If you're a passenger. Right. Different program. Mm-hmm. You are reactive. Mm-hmm. You're behind the game. Mm-hmm. You don't know when it's exactly going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's when people will get sick. The only way you can not get sick is you have to have complete confidence in your pilot yeah. and know that this guy wants to come home as much as I do. Yeah. 
And, and so if you're comfortable with your pilot that he's going to do it right, then you won't get sick either. Uh, but it's all about being ahead of, the, ahead of it or behind it. Right, right. Being a leader or a follower. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'd also like to ask you about what you're doing now. And I think mm. that it is sharing this with other pilots and with other people yeah. interested. Could you talk a little bit about your current endeavors? Yeah, I'd love to. Um I left Red Bull in uh, November of 15 and started up a school about inadvertent IMC flying. That's inadvertently, by accident, you fly into the fog or something like that. And I had a school where I'd teach people how to recover from that to get mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. I did that in California for about a year and a half and didn't go as well as I thought. I wouldn't get enough students fast enough to keep the program going. It's just too costly for me. I want to say, no, it's time to retire. I'm going to move. So I left California, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live now. And I was home there six months, bored to death. <laughs> <laughs> Got another B0105, and I decided I'm going to start. I had a bunch of people t- tell me, Chuck, you're, you're crazy if you don't pass this on to other people. Nobody yeah. else knows how to do it but you. There's a couple others in Europe, but they came in after me. Right. And, uh, and, but I need to start spreading the word about how you do aerobatics. Not so much so that you can take your I, – I don't want you doing it in your helicopter. Right? You can only do it in mine because mine's specifically made and built to do it. Right. And certified Exactly, to do it. yeah. But it's for the thrill of it and the knowledge of it. And it teaches you to be a better pilot and gives you a little bit more – you didn't realize you could do this and do that. And it just makes you feel more confident the next time you go fly your helicopter that, I've hey, I can do this and make you feel better. You don't get that feeling in your gut. I, I'm, I'm worried about something. Mm-hmm. So – um. Your school the, and, so my, and yeah, my school. now is open. See, my school, I teach mm-hmm. this now. So I'm, mm-hmm. my school, I've got this helicopter, and I start teaching it. And uh, and I started a school to teach it. And um, and I'll teach anyone that wants to learn. Well, they got to be a pilot. And I was going to say, it's not for beginners. No. I, I want you to be more than 1,000 hours uh-huh. and uh, of flying time. And then... You come to my school and you get three or four hours of ground school with me, so we're exactly on the same page of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I draw it out on on whiteboards exactly what we're going to do. And then we're when I feel like we're on the same page, we that you know exactly what I'm going to do. Then we'll go out and we'll fly my helicopter, and we'll let you do it. And I'll be right there with you to make sure you do it correctly. We'll be on a hot mic so we can talk to each other, and I'll tell you do this, do that, do this, do that. And then we'll go through it, and we'll do it probably 20 loops and 20 rolls and a couple, probably 20 split S's. So it's wow. it's a fun course to go through, and, and everyone that's gone through it's just it, – nobody said anything negative about it yet. Yeah. And is that helicopter, is that the animal that I've seen on TV? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I call it the animal because uh, – it, it just popped into my head one day. I'm going to call this thing the animal because it truly is the animal. It, it's it's the wildest thing in the air. Yeah, you guys got to check it out. The pictures yeah. are amazing. And this, and and it, I know people are listening. Will I'll try and explain it to you the seats? I made them. Uh, uh, they're leather with a hair on uh, uh, tiger skin. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> And and I got big red eyes in the back seat, so that on the wall. See, if you look inside, you see these big, huge red eyes. And I got the name An- the animal painted on the outside of it. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here, and you your website. Can you share that? So, oh. in case anybody wants to get oh. to find you and follow oh. you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's uh, my company website is Chuck Aaron Aerobatics plural dot com. Chuck Aaron Aerobatics. Dot com. My Instagram, follow me on Instagram, is Chuck P. Aaron. Chuck P. and Aaron is A-A-R-O-N. Chuck P. Aaron. Okay. And follow me on Instagram. But I, I got to I gotta give a shout out to SUU. Um, SUU is doing a fantastic job. I used to be on the board of directors of the Helicopter Association International. And one of our biggest problems we're trying to deal with is bringing on new students and new pilots because we need them bad and 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 uh and suu has filled a void and made a void and specifically mike mauer here has has done a fantastic job on marrying this together with 
a, a school and a college. Right. And you can come out with not just flight training, but a college degree. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely the perfect marriage. And he's got an awesome school here, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, we are so proud of of that school, our school, and uh, and the aviation relationship that has just been going strong, and they're yeah. just doing such amazing things. Yeah, so. we need it. That's awesome. Well, I have two uh, last sort of playful questions that, okay. that we ask all of our guests, and right. they're a little uh, kind of fun and wild, and it doesn't really matter. You can answer them however you want. And mm-hmm. the first question is a sort of a, a fun interview question, and, mm-hmm. and that is that if you met yourself 10 years ago in a bar fight who would win would the would the version of yourself now win Today. or would the version 10 years ago win and you can take that however you know that bar fight you could take however you want you know mm-hmm. so who do you think would win that uh, my earlier version <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah why do I'm, you think the, the older i the, i'm getting older now and and i'm not too old but i'm I'm not as strong and as fit as I used to be, mm. but it's especially 10 years ago. But uh, I, I have to go with the earlier version. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would go with the earlier version of myself too. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the other thing is I know I'm I'm a little more careful now than I was 10 yeah. years ago, you know, yeah. and, and it's not, it's maybe a, maybe a fight's not worth the effort. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we there's that to, as well. So. That's exactly. We learned how to <laughs> prevent the fight. And then the the last question I have for you is is something we always ask our guests about anything in there. What's turning you on this week? And it could be, it, it could be anything. It could be a song. It could be a book. It could be a TV show. It could mm-hmm. be a movie. It could mm-hmm. be anything you want to share. But it just gives. A, it could be a food item. It mm-hmm. could be anything. But it just gives our audience a a, a little uh, sort of personal insight. So Chuck Aaron, what's well, turning you on this week? Well, yeah, thanks for asking that. It, it's still the same thing as it has been forever. And that is my turn on is flying. Ah, And I still love to fly. Wow. You know, I've been flying for 47 years and I still like to get my hands on the controls and, 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 and fly a helicopter. So me flying and doing aerobatics and, and teaching it and com- coming to places like here at SUU and, giving interviews and talking about what's happened to me and how I've done this and how did I get here anyway. Uh, well, your passion is infectious. And and just the very last thing, can you share with us that personal motto that you have that is just so inspiring? Uh, yeah, it's, it's never quit, never get up, never quit, never give up, and fight it until the end. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have today. I'd like to thank you so much, Chuck Aaron, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your life and your career and all the amazing things that you've done. Thank you for being here. I my, really appreciate my, it. My honor. Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, that's going to be it for us today. We're going to be signing off and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.